What's up, everyone? My name is B, and you are listening to the Brand Eye Podcast. This podcast talks about navigating our 20-somethings, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of our journeys, and learning to embrace every part of your story, because your life is your brand, and so many people would benefit from just seeing you live authentically. No one has all of the answers. We're all trying to figure it out. Hi everyone. This week we have a very big surprise. Um, We have financial coach Vivian Harper. Viv. Hey. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here. So this week we're going to talk about um, just how to become more financially healthy and what are some best practices. And then Viv is also going to debunk some myths that people um, keep perpetuating, I guess, uh, in social media and everything like that. So Viv, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're passionate about financial wellness? Mm. So I'm Viv Harper from the South Side of Chicago. Um, I am really passionate about finances, mainly because of how I grew up. Um, When I was growing up, We grew up in a neighborhood called Auburn Gresham, and I didn't necessarily know that we were poor. Everybody in the neighborhood kind of had a similar background. Um, But as I got older, I started noticing the frustration around money that my mom would have. Mm. Every single month at the beginning of the month, she would look so angry. Mm. And I was like, you know, she would have this document. It was like, a yellow sheet of paper and then there was some carbon paper and she would be writing on it and she was always angry and I would know do not go talk to mom at that moment Mm. and this was every month and so as I got older I realized those were money orders and that she would be filling out money orders to pay for the rent or pay for the light bill and um and she always was angry around that time and so we knew at the beginning of the month don't ask mom for anything and I just knew that when I grew up I was like I never want to be angry at the beginning of every single month. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a great upbringing. My mom did the best that she could with what she had, but we struggled. I mean, we didn't have a car and we'd have to go and get groceries. And when we would go and get groceries, we would go to Aldi. Mm. And if anybody's ever been to Aldi, they know that you have to buy grocery bags. Mm. And, um, when you're struggling with money, 10 cent for a grocery bag may mean nothing to most people, but for me, that was a lot. And for my family, so she'd have us bring duffel bags to Aldi on the bus, and we would have to put all of our groceries in the duffel bags. Mm. And then, you know, sometimes you'd get home, and the broccoli would have smashed the peaches, or would have, the meat would have smashed the bread. And so it was just always kind of tough. And then there were moments where it was famine, and then there were moments there there were feasts, and, mm. and I was always grateful for that. And sometimes for Christmas, we got a lot of stuff, and sometimes mm. we didn't. But what my mom always taught me was always remember to be grateful and that things wouldn't always remain the way that they were. Yeah. So by the time I got to high school, things got better. Mom got a great job with the city, and pension, benefits, all of those things. And we started noticing those changes. She was able to buy a home at this point, probably right before she turned 30 years old. And she started giving us strategies on um, wealth, wellness. But she could only teach us as much as she knew. And many of us didn't learn that in grade school or high school or even in college. So for me, I took as much information as I could from mom and I started life. Mm. At and, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah, at that point, made it through high school. It's time for college. My brother and I got a full tuition scholarship for school, wow. so 
that was great for mom. She didn't have to pay a dime for her kids to go to school. Right. And um, we got down to college, and that began my first experience with credit cards. And that story is no different than a lot of other folks' story, <laughs> and I'll get more into that later. But I also, after finishing high school, became pregnant. Okay. So I was finishing my senior year, graduating top of the class, and was pregnant. And so it's one thing when you have to provide for yourself financially in college, but it's a completely different ballgame when you have to provide for a young person and yourself. And so that really transformed my 20s. And all of that shaped what my mind thinks about personal finance and mm. financial wellness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And when you did kind of get on your own, I know that you said you made a few mistakes, but if you're a financial coach, you know, I'm thinking that you probably know, you've always known what you're doing. It sounds like, you know, when your mom taught you, you just had those, you took that advice and you just followed every piece of advice and then it was perfect for you. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) So, you know, at this point I'm a mom and, um, I didn't find a full-time job and I'm trying to go to school and, um, it got really scary for me. Mm. I'm in school, I'm carrying a book bag. I'm a parent, so I'm carrying a diaper bag. I don't have money to buy a car, so I'm on the bus. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just trying to figure out my life. Right. And so finally, I secure a full-time job. Okay. This is good for me. Right. I mean, I was struggling. I remember my first week. Um, I don't know if you've ever had started your first job in that first week, and you can't buy lunch, and I'm buying a honey bun that's 35 cents just to survive till payday. Mm-hmm. And so payday came, and guess what? I didn't have a place to bank. Mm. So I got the check, it is a paper check, and I went to the currency exchange. Cause that's what I saw in my neighborhood, countless currency exchanges. Mm. So if the check was $500, by the time I cashed it, they took their cut, I still had things I needed to buy for my son and I. And I was like, man, I felt like this was highway robbery. Right. And so at some point I said, okay, let me get a bank account. Got a bank account and I was like, okay, now this is my <laughs> first step to managing money. So I thought. Mm. What I didn't learn about was overdraft fees, um, just all those types of things. And I found myself on the bank. Mm. And my first line of defense, honestly, Brandy, it wasn't pay the bank back. It was like, I got an overdraft fee. I'm going to find another bank to bank with. So that's what I did. So I don't know if you guys even remember Washington Mutual, that bank. And that was a big popular bank in Chicago. And I left them. And then I went to Chase. And I went to Bank of America. And whoever would give me a chance. And I didn't know that that was going to really impact my credit a lot later. So how impacted was your credit? I mean, was it like, okay, it's a little low, but you can still do stuff? Or was it like... Had no clue. I'd never checked my credit. Didn't even know. And here's the interesting thing. Folks always want... Um, you to show them about credit and things like that. And you don't think about credit until you actually need it. And so at which point um, I needed it Mm -hmm. and I got ready to apply for a credit card and couldn't get it. Mm. And so I started having to pull my credit report and I realized that, hey, I owed folks, namely the banks. And so didn't use credit for a long time because I didn't know how to access it, didn't know how to rehabilitate what I had going on. I wasn't really prepared to pay back those banks at that time. And so I just had to use cash. So then what happened? Did you, how did you resolve that? Mm. So at that point I fell in love. Oh, (laughs) right. So I fell in love with this guy and he was far more financially sound than I was. His mom was an expert 
and personal finance. Wow. And, oh, um, I thought you were going to say he paid all your bills. I was like, <laughs> well, period. Yeah, that too. <laughs> oh, talking about that too. We're getting there. But she had prepared him financially, not only giving him some tips and tools, but major strategies that he carried with him. And he was financially sound and we fell in love. So he did become fully financially responsible for me. Oh, wow. And um, it was working out at first. But one day he woke up and he said, you're a liability. Oh, you know, that cut me. That would hurt my soul. Oh, it cut me like a oh knife. Oh, my gosh. And when he said that, I started to think, well, am I? But I wasn't even paying for my own deodorant. Like, I couldn't even tell you the cost of eggs. He paid for every oh, single thing. Oh, you were in your bag. You secured the bag. <laughs> I was chilling. I was chilling. But with that being said, I couldn't provide for myself. He had to buy me a car. He had to do all of these things. And I figured it would always be that way. Yeah. One day he got up and he was like, you know, I'll be home late. And he got home late and got home later and later and later. And it just started hurting my feelings. But what was I going to do? Right. I was at his mercy. Right. And that really fueled me. So one day I woke up and he said, um, he got home about 8 a.m. I said, where have you been all night? Don't worry about it. Oh. And I couldn't worry about it because what was I going to do? He had paid for a fully furnished condominium. He paid for my car. What was I going to do? Right. But just, you know, go through whatever I was going through. And, um, it's a valuable lesson. I teach my children, like, do not let anybody be financially responsible for you because the person with the money controls everything. Mm. So I turned to him and I said this. I said, I'm moving in 30 days. And he looked at me and said, okay. Now, this is somebody I'm madly in love with, and I say I'm moving in 30 days. Right. And he didn't care, and he went rolled over and went to sleep. And so did you have to file for bankruptcy, or did you, like, what happened? It's common. I absolutely ended up having to file for bankruptcy and we're going to get there. And now you're a financial coach. Right. And I know this is, sounds so ironic, sounds crazy, right. but I just want to remind people about what mom said. It won't always be that way. And so I wish somebody had told me that, you know, 20 years ago, um, or mom did tell me that, but I wish I believed it 20 years ago. Mm. So I got up anyway and um, it's time to move in 30 days. I moved out in 28 days and I found a little apartment. But, you know, they let me move. But guess what they asked for? First month's rent. Second month's rent. Mm. End of the lease rent. Mm. They wanted so much money from me. Yeah. And I was able to come up with it, thank goodness. But um, that was a lot. Yeah. And at which point, um, I was trying to manage money. And I ended up finding a job and kind of working through some things. But I still wasn't financially sound at this point. Right. So, started going to work and started parking my car. Guess what? Started getting a bunch of parking tickets. Oh, I don't pay my parking tickets. Well, now I do in Chicago. Right. <laughs> I feel like they really will. They they sent me a letter saying that they were gonna they were gonna tell me. If absolutely, I, they will absolutely tell you. I'm here to like, tell okay, you. Okay, Lori. <laughs> so I sit up here and I'm not paying these parking tickets. Catch me if you can. <laughs> and they caught me. And at which point, again, I'm kind of just trying to make ends meet. And they tow my car. They boot my car. And um, they say, we want $1,200 to get it back. Oh. And I mean, you know, I'm working to get on my feet, financially reestablish myself, and I don't have $1,200. Remember, I still need to pay back the banks. I ended up getting other credit cards and a bunch of other stuff that I owe people. How was I going to pay $1,200 to get my car back? But I right. need my car because guess what? I got kids at this right. point. I have two children at this point. So I go and they say, the only way we can help you is um, if you do a payment plan. But the payment plan was still too steep. Mm-hmm. So someone said, you know what? You should file for bankruptcy. 
Now, this someone wasn't a financial coach, wasn't an expert on finance, but they said do it. And they said, well, if you do that, you'll be able to get your car back. So I filed a chapter 13. The chapter 13 allowed me to go and show that letter to the city of Chicago, and they gave me my car back. But I needed that car to drive around and get to work. Mm. So what was I going to do if they told the car I couldn't go and buy another car? I was like, I mean, I got to do something. So that's what I did. And uh, that was really tough for me. Um, If I could tell anybody anything, really go and speak with an expert, I didn't need to file for bankruptcy. I just needed to strategize a Mm. way to manage my money and manage my budget and manage my debt. And there was no need for it. But I'm here to be that person to let folks know they may not necessarily have to do that. I'm so glad that you are here to help us. And you've helped me a lot. I call you my financial coach and I call you for everything. But what I really want to talk about, too, is why is it important to make financially sound decisions? And how can you is there a way to bounce back? Is there like a a point of no return? Uh, You can bounce back from anything. I don't care if it's homelessness. I don't care if it's bankruptcy. These are things that I've experienced homelessness and bankruptcy. I'm here to tell you, you can bounce back from anything. I just think that you need the right support Mm -hmm. and um, and the right strategy. Okay, so how do you create a financial plan? What are the financial plan creation basics 101? Makes sense. So for me, um, remember, I was dating that guy and his mom was an expert in personal finance. Now, she didn't have any accreditations or anything like that. She just knew how to manage her money. And so she sat with me originally and she said, "Um, let's take a look at your budget. I said, well, I don't have a budget. I just pay my bills and spend the rest. She said, "Okay. well, how much are your bills? I said, well, I don't know. She's like, let's start with the light bill. I feel attacked. (laughs) No, I'm for real, because I feel like. I can set out to create a budget, but you ask me how much I spend on groceries a month, I can't tell you. I just spend the money. Yep. And if you don't tell your money where to go, you're going to wonder where it went. And that may seem tedious, but again, if you know where that money is going, you won't wonder where it went. So I'm sitting with his mom, and uh, she says, your light bill is $100? I said, yeah, it's about $100. She said, is it $100 or is it about $100? I said, it's about $100. She said, let's look at your light bill. So we look at my light bill, and guess what? It's $80. But most of us round up, right? Yeah. She said, but think about this, Vivian. If the light bill is $80 every single month, and you have it in your mind that it's $100, then think about it. That's a $20 difference. Multiply 20 times times 12 months. That's $240 that you're not accounting for. I never thought of it that way. And when she said that, I'm like, there's so many times I'm rounding up or rounding down and I'm just doing this mental math. Right. And so when she said that to me, that was my first step into making a plan. So if I think about the first step in a plan is let's look at what you have going on. Pull up that bank statement. Okay. So if I'm being a million percent real and I know I can always be real with you. Yeah. For me, I don't even like selling people. I like Apple Pay because I don't want to have to look at my account i want to just be able to get rid of that money because like i don't like looking at my bank balance you know like yeah yeah. i don't care what it is i don't want to look at it and i'm like oh no so i'm just gonna apple pay you or maybe venmo or cash app or something whatever requires me to not look at it i've sat with countless clients who do not look at it and i know why (laughs) it's gonna be a gut punch to look at what the money is actually going to it's i've 
it's going, I don't know where it's going. Right. So now you're wondering where it went. So we want to think about our goals. None of us just want to sit in a circle. Some of us want to travel. Some of us want to buy homes. Some of us want to buy shoes, whatever it is. We all have a goal for the money that we get, whether we work for it or receive it. Mm-hmm. So the first step is to come up with a goal. For me, my son, his name is Jay. And um, I love coffee. There isn't anything I love more than coffee. Well, maybe shoes. But <laughs> coffee's like number two. And so um, I would go and get a caramel macchiato from Starbucks. You ever get one of those before? Yeah. So I'm not about to tell you to not get a caramel macchiato and it's going to make you a multimillionaire. That's insane. Right. What I am going to tell you is for me, I was spending about $6 a day on coffee every single day I went to work. It's about 20 work days in the month. So I'm spending roughly $120 a month on just a cup of coffee. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. But for me, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something for Jay at the end of every year. So I thought about my goal and I wanted us to go on a vacation at the end of every year, Mm -hmm. Jaylen and I. So the first step in creating a financial plan is knowing your goal. So what's our goal? We want to go on vacation. So the second step is budgeting. So instead of me getting a latte every single day, I still went to Starbucks every day. I'm not depriving myself. Right. But instead of getting the caramel macchiato, I got a cup of coffee with some steam half and half and three pumps of caramel. It's a $3 difference. Mm. Now, most of us are going to spend that $3 on snacks or do whatever. But for me... I said to myself, the $3 that I don't spend every day, because that's the difference between one cup and the other cup, mm-hmm. I started putting in a um, savings account. Mm. And the, I named the savings account. I always tell clients, name your savings account. And the savings account, you can go on your banking app and just change it from saying savings account and just retype a name. Right. Mine was no latte for Jay. That inspired me, because mm. I knew that I wanted to do something for Jay. Yeah, And so... every single day went into that account, no matter what. For a working class person, you ain't going to miss $3 a day. Right. You can find $3 worth of change in your couch cushions. Yeah. Every single day. Do that math. Three times 365 days, that's a little over $1,000. Oh, wow. Uh, Nobody's telling you to save $500 every pay period. That may not be manageable, but just something incremental. $3 every day got us $1,000 at the end of the year. And I love that because... When I think about like, you know, savings, I'm like, okay, I'll do $10 a paycheck. And then I'm like, it's not going fast enough, you know? So then I do something that really I don't feel comfortable with or it's not. And then I'm just pulling from my savings account or I'll put everything in savings and then just pull little by little and then all the money. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's just a back and forth. This ain't even a savings account exactly. anymore. This is just a pull and pull account, pick right. and pull. Right. And so, so step one, we got our goal. It's going on vacation. Next thing is our budget. I started budgeting out what I was going to spend my money on. So I started using an app called Mint. Oh, I love Mint. Everybody loves Mint. Mint gives you a gut punch too. And so in Mint, of course, you'd go in and say, hey, this is what I'm going to spend on food. This is what I'm going to spend on rent. It's also going to account for the credit cards and, and debits and everything that you make. It's right there on your phone. Now for me, we love eating out, my family and I. We love Harold's Chicken. We're going to mm. eat it every week. And so for me, I had to set a budget. Yeah. Nobody's saying not have the things that you enjoy, but just know where every single dollar goes. So I told myself, it's a $20 budget for Harold's every week. Now we're going to have it, but we can't go over $20. So one day I'm in Harold's and we're getting dinner. It's me and the kids and it was $20 and 18 cent. And Mint instantly alerted me, you're over 18 cent. Yeah. And I need that. 
Right. You know what I mean? Some people turn their notifications off on men, but I, I need did. somebody. Yeah. I turned mine off. Because they're going to let you know. And then they emailed me and I started blocking them. Right. <laughs> but you need those little things. Like, so that told me like, you know what, is it really worth it? You know? Right. And so those are the things that I started doing. In terms of a budget, everybody's budget is different. Yeah. So for me, um, I remember many years ago, I was um, working for Comcast Cable. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to this guy, and uh, his cable bill was like an exorbitant amount of money. And I was like, sir, all you got to do is cancel your cable and cancel these channels and blah, 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 blah. And then you don't have to worry about this big bill. And he said, hey, um, I know you don't know me, and we're only talking over the phone. He said, but I'm a person with a disability. Oh. He said, so you probably, Yeah. He said, you can probably roller skate. You can probably go out to the movies. But this is my only form of entertainment. And so when people ask me, what should I be spending on entertainment? What should I be spending on food? Well, his circumstance is so much different than mine. So yeah. I could easily tell you, get rid of your cable, get rid of your Starbucks. Yeah. But if that is your creature comfort, then my budget won't necessarily work for you. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm just. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was, that was a shock for me. And he was right. I didn't think about the privilege that I have, but what everybody's budget needs to go over is the needs and the wants. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, we need somewhere to live. We need our utilities. Some of us need insurance. Some of us may feel like we can forego insurance. But I think what's really important is to figure out, A, the needs and the wants. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, figure out the fixed expenses and then the variable expenses. Mm, The fixed expenses that your mortgage is going to be the same amount every month. Yeah. But that phone bill may be a variable expense because you went out of town and had an overage. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to look at, even if my budget is 30, 50, 70 needs and wants or whatever uh, calculation you come up with, that's not the priority. The priority is knowing what's the need and the want, what's the variable expense, what's the fixed expense, and then what do you have left? Yeah. And at that point, even if you want to spend every dime, at least you knew where all of those dollars went. Oh, wow. So that makes you prioritize and figure out, do I really want, you know, coffee or the shoes or do I really want to go on vacation or buy a home? Right. And I find myself, you know, I'm always like, treat yourself. So like, I'm like, it doesn't matter to, you know, um, upgrade, you know, $30 every time I do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's only $30. But even on credit cards, it adds up where I'm like, oh, that $30 turned into $3,000. And if that makes sense to you, so be it. But keep in mind that you've made that the priority versus whatever those other long-term plans were. And I think that's not something we always want to face. And how can you practice self-compassion in the budgeting space? So the same way you do it when with exercising or diet. And if you fall off, you just get back on, mm-hmm. right? I spent 18 cent over our Harold's chicken budget. Mm-hmm. I didn't beat myself up about it. I just was like, I duly noted. And going forward, I'll probably spend 18 cent less next week. <laughs> Have you ever done like 1800 more on a purchase? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And and I'll, I'll get into, you know, ways that I've had to make additional money. Because sometimes you can't budget your way out of a financial situation. You just need mm. to get more money. Say that again. Sometimes you cannot budget yourself out of a financial situation. Sometimes you just need to make more money. I love that because I feel like sometimes people are beat over the head with budgeting and like the Dave Ramsey mindset, which I mean, I can't get through the book because I feel a little too guilty because he'll tell you every dollar, you know, like he may be 
he's very smart. I'm not saying he's bad, but like I know right now at this stage in my life, like I don't know that I have the um, maturity. To- it's not even a function of that for me. I think that what I feel sometimes is forgotten by certain financial coaches is that wealth begets wealth. So people who have wealth already, it's easy for them to talk about do this, do this, and do not lean on credit cards. But if you came from nothing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for you to go and buy a $30,000 car cash, right? So you will have to take out a loan. You will have to go into debt to get the car that you need to get to work to provide for your family. Mm -hmm. So some of that is a bit unreasonable for disadvantaged communities, right? So for me, um, when I even think about who you should work with when you get a financial coach, it may not be the Dave Ramsey's. It may not be the Susie Orman's. It may be somebody with a more shared and lived experience, right? You know what I mean? Wow, kind of like what they talk about with doctors, you know? Find a doctor that you can identify with and that can understand your experience. Right. You know, I think that if we think about the wealth and uh, paying a different share of their taxes and increasing the minimum wage, there's a myriad of ways that we could really support folks who are underpaid. But I always remind folks, I'm not going to beat you over the head about budgeting or financial literacy. I'm going to strategize ways you can do more with the money that you have. But sometimes we need to figure out ways where we can get more money. How can we monetize some of those um, things that you do well or some of those Mm. skills that you have and those expertise? Sometimes that's going to be the additional income you need to bridge that gap. Mm. And what about for people who can't afford a Vivian or afford a financial coach in general? What resources are available and Mm -hmm. I feel like there are also a lot of people, especially with TikTok, you know, everyone's telling you exactly what to do with your money. And some of these are very good and some of them are actually unhealthy habits. So how can you find someone and know that they are actually legitimate? Yep. I think that that's a good uh, point. So if you can't afford a financial coach, I want us all to consider this. There's a website. It's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. This is something that the federal government has come up with. It's a website that really... Um, you can learn anything that you need to know about finance on this website. It's 100% free. There are budgeting templates. There are different uh, savings goals templates. There is even a resource where you can find financial coaches, whether they're free or not free. But this resource is at no cost. Mm. And it will give you strategies. For me, that's where I started. Because we haven't dug into how I got started from bankruptcy and being a liability and all of those things to being a financial coach. But it started with going on the website, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau website. So if you Google that or go to consumerfinance.gov, there are a myriad of educational resources at no cost, and then connecting you to folks who can coach you at either free or no cost. There's also a resource um, called Operation Hope. Operation Hope uh, provides free financial coaching for folks who uh, need help with personal finance and business finance and starting small businesses and that they're a non-for-profit and they offer those services at no cost. So I always tell folks to check that out too. Oh, wow. You really do. I mean, you really do have all the resources. I always joke about it, but no, you seriously do have all of the resources. So you said that we didn't get into how you actually built up from bankruptcy. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I ended up having to file for bankruptcy. It was a chapter 13, and there's a couple different types of bankruptcies, and I'll go into that probably at some point. But I did a chapter 13, which is a restructuring of your debt, and so basically you pay pennies on the dollars for your debt. So if I had thousands of dollars worth of credit cards and I had thousands of dollars worth of parking tickets and all of that, they take a look at all of that. You sit with um, a trustee, 
and they go over all of that and they say, you got $60,000 worth of debt that you'll never be able to pay, but maybe you can pay $6,000 over time, month by month. And that's called a chapter 13. And so I did that and I had to go in front of the judge and say, this is what I make every day versus this is what I owe. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, you'd pay this amount every single month on time, every single time, and then you'll be out of debt. Wow. Yeah, but you can't be late. You can't miss the payment. You know, think about uh, what know. happens if you do. If you do, then you're going to fall out of the bankruptcy and, and all that debt comes back. <gasps> oh, I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, yeah, they don't wipe it out until it's all paid off. So I know countless folks who have had to do it over and over because they stop paying their monthly amount. Yeah. And then they have to go back in front of the judge and say, can I do another chapter 13? And all of those things show up on your credit report. The first time you did a chapter 13, the second time, all of those things. And it is a blemish that negatively impacts your score every single time. Does it go away? After seven years. (laughs) Yeah. So some people might wait, wait out the seven years. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can wait out the seven years, but think about what happens in seven years. In seven years, you want to buy a home in seven years, you want to buy a car and you, do you want that necessarily negatively impacting you? You Which I mean, and I guess you did say with the latte for Jay, mm-hmm. or no latte for Jay, yeah. $3 a day was over $1,000 in a year. So yeah. imagine $3 a day for seven years. Yeah. Payment. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, we cannot always control our income, right? So if you lose your income and you have this monthly payment you have to get to the judge every month, then you are going to fall off that bankruptcy and have to start over. And it almost may feel like a never-ending cycle, but you can recover from it. So, And what, I'm sorry, what happens if you just keep going in front of a judge? Is there a time when they're like, okay, all right, now. I'm yeah, done. I trust that they're going to be like, you know what, enough is enough. But I've seen five or six, I'm not going to lie, on a folks' credit reports of wow. um, restarting that. Because the whole goal is they want you to start paying those folks back that you took those loans and debts out with. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So for me, um, I ended up trying to get my car back, filed the chapter 13, had to get on track paying every single month on time, every single time. Mm -hmm. Did all of that. But now my credit score is after I paid them all off, I probably paid it faster than whatever amount of years. It might've been like a two year type of plan. Okay. Paid them off faster than that. But now my credit's in the toilet. It didn't help my credit. It just got me to not owe anybody anymore. Oh. See? So. So what are the pros and cons of filing for bankruptcy? Good point. The pro of it is uh, it takes the relief out of getting all of those debt collectors calling you. If we do a Chapter 13, it's a restructuring, which means all of those folks who are calling you, emailing you, you get them in one lump sum and you just start paying them and it feels a little bit easier than paying Capital One and Chase and all of that. It's just one lump sum. So that's the pro of it, right? I was able to get my car back because I was showing good faith that I was paying somebody. So that's a pro of it, right? The con of it is that until it's paid, then it's still on your credit report. And it's actually still on your credit report for seven years. Though I paid Mm -hmm. them before seven years, it was still on my credit report as a person who's been in bankruptcy before. And so if I have, let's say, something on collections and I'm like... Mm -hmm. Five years in, if you know, if someone's in like five years into not paying mm-hmm. that, are they supposed to just wait it out? Like you know, like, you have two more years, or <laughs> sound sound like a plan. So <laughs> it, it well, it, it really depends. Um, for me, with respect to the um, 
bankruptcy, I wish I had known that that stain was just going to really impact me, even though I paid everybody off and did everything I said I was going to do. Um, I really couldn't kickstart my life again until that payment plan was finished. And even once it was finished, that blemish was still there. Um, but in terms of the collection agencies, if I saw something on someone's account for five years, I would probably have them take a approach in terms of um, just reaching out to that collection agency to validate that debt and make sure that you really owe that. I might tell them to hold off if you want me to be honest with you. So if you do contact the collection agency, it doesn't, the clock doesn't restart. It could. It could. Yeah, that's why you want to. What do you mean could? Right. You want to sit with an expert. So let's talk about collection agencies. And I know we're kind of going somewhere, but when we think about collection agencies, they're debt buyers. They buy boxes and boxes of debt. You can Google. There's a case in, I want to say, New Jersey, where there is a debt or a collection agency that bought, let's say, 200 pounds of debt or, you know, 200 boxes of debt. They don't always know if that's your debt, if the debt is the right amount. Did you pay that? Is that you? There can be a myriad of discrepancies in that. And so what happens with a collection agency is this. They have to prove that you actually owe that debt, right? And do you owe that debt to the collection agency? Do you owe that debt to the original uh, creditor? Did you pay all of it? Is that amount right? There's something called the Fair Credit Reporting Act. It's some legislation that says that your credit report needs to accurately reflect exactly the payments and the information has to be accurate. If it is not, it has to be deleted from your report. Mm. So let's say, Brandy, you got something in collections from, uh, it us- the most collections I see is medical debt. What happens is that we all have health insurance from work. We go and we pay our uh, copay, we pay whatever else, and then all of a sudden you get this bill in the mail for like $15. And you're like, well, I paid the copay and I paid the deductible. This is odd. I don't owe that. Mm-hmm. And then you let it go awry. And then you let it go awry for 180 days. After 180 days, it goes to the collection agency because mm-hmm. they buy that debt. They buy that debt pennies on the dollar. So if your doctor is Dr. Vivian, they call Dr. Vivian and say, we see Brandy didn't pay this debt over 180 days. Can we buy that from you? Mm-hmm. Well, the doctor's office is going to be like, well, Vivian or Brandy ain't going to ever pay us no way, so the least we could do is make a couple dollars. Yeah, buy that debt from us. They buy it for pennies on the dollar. So let's say you owe $1,500 to the, um, the doctor. The debt collector, the collection agency, buys it for $150. But then they call you and say, Brandy, you owe $1,500. Well, you only paid $150 for the debt. I don't oh. necessarily owe it to you. And... Do I need to talk to my doctor? It's very convoluted, but here's the thing. Sometimes the agreement you've made with the doctor, the agreement you've made with Best Buy, the agreement you've made with somebody, when you read the fine print, sometimes it says you owe ABC Company. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it says you owe ABC Company and who it is assigned to. Oh. So in those moments, that's when they can restart that time clock. And so that's why I always say it's very careful before we contact the collection agency because we want to just have a strategy. Oh, interesting. So it goes back to my original point is that they're buying so much debt, they may not necessarily know if that's valid or not valid. And the goal is to make sure that they prove that it's valid because if it's not valid and if it's inaccurate, according to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, if it's not accurate, it has to be deleted from your report. And what about HIPAA? I Because I've heard this... Um, and maybe you can debunk this myth or mm-hmm. say it's true. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But I have heard in these like financial workshops that they're like, you know what? It violates HIPAA to sell 
your debt or whatever. And so you can report them or something and get that debt wiped off of your credit report without paying. Is that true or is it not true? It's not true. I'm so tired of people saying that. So here's the thing. (laughs) The things is this, like what's going on in your actual medical history that is protected under HIPAA. But let's be 100% clear. The payment activity, that's not protected by HIPAA. Mm. That's the part that's on your credit report. Nobody's credit report says I had my spleen removed. Okay. That's protected by HIPAA. Right. But hey, I owe this medical practice for this amount of money because I stopped paying. Mm-hmm. That's not protected by HIPAA. Yeah. Now, if somebody tells you, well, I got that removed from my credit report, well, yeah, it is strategy to get it removed from the credit report. I'm sure what happened is, is that the debt buyer, the debt agency, the collection agency just couldn't validate if you really owed that amount or they had the wrong amount. Because if they say you owe 150 and you owe 125, that's still invalid. It's still mm-hmm. inaccurate. So it gets removed. So it's not that it got removed because of HIPAA. It got removed because there's something that uh, mm. the debt agency didn't handle correctly. Interesting. Okay. And- We've been talking a lot about credit, but there is another kind of credit that I feel like is not well known. So can you talk about the difference between bank credit and financial credit? Mm. So when I think about, remember I started this conversation talking about the banks. Yes, yes. That's what I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, So the banks... So I'm going to be honest with you guys, and we'll have to save it. We're going to have to do two or three parts. Yeah. There are different type of scoring models for credit. And that's like, this might be conversation 101. This We're going into like 201 with this. I'm sorry. Okay. And I'll explain why I'm asking after. Yeah. But the banks look at something completely different in terms of scoring models. The banks is looking at, is this person risky? Um, does this person have a propensity to pay things back? And their scoring model isn't necessarily the same as credit cards. Mm. So sometimes you're able to get this really cool credit card, and then you're like, why won't the bank accept me? Right. Well, what the bank sees is Vivian didn't pay back Bank of America. She didn't pay back Washington Mutual. She overdrafted all of these banks. And they may put you in something called check systems. Mm. And check systems is a different type of... For, the sake of this conversation, we'll call it a different type of credit profile. Yeah. So you're pulling Credit Karma and FICO and all of this stuff thinking, hey, I got my stuff in order. But you forget in your 20s that you were check kiting and overdrafting and doing all of these things. And the bank is still able to see all of that. Mm. It's completely different. What they're looking at is they do like a, like a pre-screening with the bank. Mm-hmm. And so whatever you see, whatever scoring models for a credit card or for a home loan or for a car, it's going to be different with the bank. Yeah. And I know you're like, well, how do I see that? Work for the bank? <laughs> <laughs> you can go to your check systems um, account. And if you go to check systems, I'm sure it's checksystems.com. You can pull that information and see what, if you're in check systems. Yeah. But it'll make it very clear any um, negligence you've done with the banks. Okay. And... I ask because, um, as you know, about a few months ago, I was scammed and all of my money was taken. And it yep. wasn't my fault. Yep. They called for my bank's number. They you know, shared information only my bank had. Even the fact that my debit card was being sent out again and saying I was going under investigation, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very a very legitimate call. Why wouldn't I? It's like, you know, I've gotten those calls and messages from my bank. And I even called in response to those messages I was getting from the scammer saying, I'm calling in response to the messages you sent me. The teller said, okay, well, yeah, I'll help you out. And then come to find out those were scammers, but she was thinking it was a bank too. When the investigation was closed and I got all my money back, 
they told me, now if this happens again, yep. we have the ability to end the relationship with you. And I'm sitting yep. here like, wait, what did I do wrong? You yep. know? And they acknowledged it wasn't my fault. And then someone was telling me, oh yeah, that's I've heard about bank credit. And yep. so that's when I learned was like, the banks are different. Every, the banks are different. The auto loans are different. The homes are different. And, and that's a conversation that I love to have those one-on-ones with folks because they don't realize the banks use something called behavioral scoring. So they're watching how your behavior works. You were scammed this time, but if you scammed again and again and again, mm. then this is showing them something. And they have what they call the behavioral scoring. And they look and be like, yeah, something to the and we're not going to let her bank with us anymore. And would it be like it could be my fault or would it be that I just probably don't make great decisions? It could be that because um, it's it's fraud scoring they have. It's um, collection scoring they have. All of those things are things that are exclusively for the bank that folks don't even think anything about. But to be honest with you, I'm sure they're going to look at something they call behavioral scoring. Wow. That's your behavior, crazy. you're making poor choices. You're being scammed, you know. Yeah. Uh, they call it payment projections. Is this person going to consistently pay? They're yeah. watching all of those things. And I, I and nobody's going to teach this in school. Right. right. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I know I took us down a rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah. but this is all really important information that I know that you shared with me and in my initial uh, meetings with you. Cause I mean, we're friends, but yeah. then you start telling me stuff. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So, um, We'll end this episode here, and then in the next episode, we will get into credit cards and loans and living. But Oh, my favorites. Is there anything that you would like to say before closing out? Or, um, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I would say is, A, tune in to the next episode because it's going to be really good. It's probably going to be some of my favorite topics. But just to know that you can recover from everything. Yeah. Yep. I so I think that folks are scared to check their reports. Folks are scared to look at their bank accounts. I don't care how bleak that situation is. You can recover. And you recovered. I am living proof. And you literally built a budget. Built a budget, created a budget. I'm able to enjoy the life that I wanted because I figured out a way to recover. Right. How many countries have you been to? Uh, well, all continents except for Antarctica. So in terms of countries, maybe 37. Oh, wow. And we'll talk about how I did it based on budgeting and credit. And some of those countries for free. A lot of those countries for free. Um, as you know, it's our tradition for uh, me or our guest to ask a question of the week for the listeners. So what is the question of the week? And then we also have a quote of the week. And before you go, one thing I will say before you share your or ask your question and share your quote is... Um, in school, something that they would always say is you can tell an organization's values based on where they're allocating the most dollars. And whenever I would hear that, I would think about on a personal level, I can tell what I'm valuing most based on how much money I'm putting towards it. And sometimes it's happy hour. Sometimes it's a gym membership, but like I can usually tell what stage I am in my life, which is probably why I like to avoid looking at my bank statements because I don't, I already yeah. know what I value. I don't want to talk about right, it. Right, right. <laughs> it's interesting, Brandy, because I don't have a question, but okay. I actually have a little bit of homework for the listeners. 
Oh, you, boy. Do yeah. I have to do it? Yeah, can you? I mean, obviously, I have to do it, right? Good. Okay. Yes. So for me, I just want folks to pull their last two bank statements. Go to your bank app, and you just download that bank statement and print it out. My app is broken. Okay, so no. what, what we're <laughs> going to do saying. is go online. <laughs> I think that might be better. Don't even use the app. Go right online. Uh-huh. Pull your last two bank statements, and I need you to get two highlighters, a yellow one and a green one, a pink and a purple, whatever. But you just need to. And I want you to highlight every single transaction that you needed, meaning life or death, and then every single transaction that you wanted Mm. in two separate colors. Now, define need, because I think everything is a need. Like the new shoes I buy are a need. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's tough. For me, I want us to think about um, somewhere to live and what it takes to maintain where you live. And how it maintaining how you do your livelihood. So you need a place to live. You need lights for that. You need gas for that. You may need a car or transportation. Those are needs. Wants is anything else for me um, because I can give you clothes, Brandy, and I can give you shoes or connect you to a place to get free shoes. <laughs> okay, but you have to um, <laughs> And so here's the thing. Entertainment, unfortunately, guys, it's it's a want. So even Netflix, it's got to go under a different highlighter. Netflix and your time at the roller skating. So maybe rink. like three highlighters. Like one could be like what is kind of a need. Yeah, no, no let's just do two for now, <laughs> okay. and then and then we'll come back and double highlight if need be. But just pull the last two bank statements. Okay. And then we'll sort through those together and figure out if there's a way to find money. I've met with so many clients, and they said I can't save a damn. And after doing this homework assignment, we've been able to find what I call find money, hmm. and we've been able to save like at least an additional hundred dollars per month. And that might not mean nothing to you, but by the end of the year, that's $1,200. And we all can use an additional $1,200. Mm, okay. I love this. Yeah. So Thank that, you so much, Viv. And oh, do you have a quote? Yeah. So my quote is, a person can be highly educated. They can be professionally successful, but they still could be financially illiterate. Ooh. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. I feel like you're just attacking <laughs> You know, me today. Not at all. Not at all. I think that we all have been in those places where we're having so much success in every other area. And we just want to make sure that this area is just as financially sound and well as all of the other areas. Yeah. Yeah. You want to look good and spend good. That's it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Vivian. Um, And I'm so excited because next week we're going to have you back. And I know that I'm excited to hear more about your tips. Thank you all so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next week.